All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. As Daniel said, my name's Josh. Uh, if, you, if you're somewhat new here, you may have never seen me up here. I'm here very occasionally, but, uh, but it's, it's a, a blessing and a privilege to be up here, and, and I pray that God would speak through me to you, and that we would know God's heart more uh, by the end of today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. We've been there as a body uh, for the past while, and so the end of 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, so if you want to flip there, that's cool, but I'm going to start with a different question. Uh, for you. And the question is based on the Olympics. So this is maybe something you've always dreamed of, right? Maybe you watch curling and you're like, I could do that. It's like one sport. I'm like, you know, maybe I wouldn't have to put in too much effort. I could become a curler. It's that ice thing where they, you know, whatever. Bring back shuffleboard memories in my grandma's basement. But any, anyway, I don't know about you, but have you ever wanted to be an Olympian, right? And if so, what Olympic sport, if you had your pick, would you want to be? Right? Winter, summer, you can dream of either season here. What Olympic sport would you want to be? I want you to tell your neighbor. Okay? What's, what's like your dream of, a, of being an Olympian? All right. Hey, I, I, I see that we have a lot of aspiring Olympians out there. This is good. So I guess if I had to, if I had to uh, tell you mine, right, I, I've always wanted to, uh, I, I thought if I could do it, right, be a pole vaulter, I think that'd be pretty cool. That looks dangerous, right? Or be a loser, like a lugeist. I don't know, loser sounds bad. One who rides a luge sled. But regardless, right, like maybe you have an aspiring dream. So we watched the Olympics, right, this past summer. I love watching the Olympics because I love watching people compete at a high level, and it's just fun, right? There's other elements to it too. But there's one person that you're going to probably recognize. It's an iconic photo from this, this, uh, uh, not this past Olympics, but the Olympics before that. And I'm sure you'll recognize it as soon as you see it, okay? And he's known as the fastest man on earth. There you go. Right? I mean, this picture, that smile, I mean, the thrill of victory, right? I mean, that, that's a big thing. And so nine gold medals later, right, the three-peat, three Olympics in a row. I mean, if you're 13 or younger, you've never seen somebody else win one of the sprints at the Olympics ever. Uh, this is a big deal. And so he he's, has all those accomplishments. And you've probably seen this picture, but I'm going to show you another picture coming up here that you probably haven't seen. Check out that face. Same guy, just different face right? And it's the training that goes into the workouts, the regimen, all this different stuff. I, I actually looked up Usain Bolt's training regimen, and I couldn't pronounce like a third of the lifts and activities that he does. I'm like, I've never heard of that. I don't even know what it is. And I've been an athlete in my life, and it, it's pretty cool. He worked hard, right, to have that victory. So why do I bring that up, right? Well, we're going to be in a place where Paul speaks to the church in Corinth, to the Christians in Corinth, and he uses a lot of references where he's pointing at something. They're familiar with something. They're familiar with, we, we dealt with a couple weeks of sexual immorality. He's, he's, he's pointing at what's going on in their community. Well, another thing that happened in Corinth was something called the Isthmian Games. Because Corinth was on an isthmus, whatever. A little connecting peninsula of sorts. I don't know if that's right. But <laughs> it's not really a peninsula. It's, it's something. Okay like Panama, but in Greek, Greece. Uh, so the isthmus, right, 
had the Isthmian Games. It was one of the Hellenistic Games or the Greek Olympic Games that was held every two years. And so when he said this, what we're about to read, people knew what he was talking about. He talked about things, and you'll hear things like, hey, in, in, our, in your games, right, all the runners run. Right? Running was one of the events. Actually, poetry and singing were events, too. So if you're not athletically inclined, there you go. But javelin, chariot racing, these other elements. But he says all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. In our Olympics, there's three people on a medal stand, but in their day, only one got an award. And he talks about the crown that they get. And you'll hear him say the crown that does not last. The, the ancient Olympic wreaths that they put on their heads were often made of pine or of celery, like celery branches, not like <laughs> celery. But they'd weave them together and put them in their head. And so imagine, how long would that last? Right, I have a trophy from like when I was a fourth grader playing football that still lasted. And it's just a little plastic thing with a football guy. And, and yet, this probably wouldn't last more than a couple days before it would dry out. So they compete that hard for a crown that does not last. And he starts from that frame of reference and he says, let's, let's aim after something even more important. A crown that will last forever. And then he talks about the training, that, that second face that you saw, that it takes to get there. And so today we're going to talk about the topic of kind of that training, that, that self-discipline, that, that work that it takes. As an athlete, yeah, there'll be some athletic metaphors, but as a Christian in our daily walks as well. Before we open up to 1 Corinthians 9, uh, I'm going to pray that, that God would open our hearts to know His heart more through this. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. <laughs> thank You for Your heart for us, that You know us. The name one of your names, that you are the God that knows us, that sees us. Lord, we praise you already for even the testimony that you saw Ishmael, that you spoke to Andrew and you see him, that you see each one of us here this morning. Lord, thank you for seeing us. I pray that our eyes may be open to your heart, may be open as we open your word, and that your spirit would work inside of us, that we may run a race that's aimed at you, and that glorifies your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, okay, verse 24 is where we're going to start, and I'll just read right through. It's just the end of this chapter. Do you not know, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I'm going to focus in at first about this training, this strict training that he points out. And I'm going to equate that in our walk, right? Not as an athlete, but in our walk as, as, as followers of Jesus, because he's talking to the, the church in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, and he's saying, hey, there's a strict training to our walks too. And typically we call this something like self-discipline, uh, spiritual disciplines, ways that we discipline our lives to be followers of Christ. 
right? And so that's what I'm going to reference it as. And so we got to start with kind of definition of what that Christian training looks like. And so for you, maybe things that pop in your head are like study, studying the Word, praying, worship, maybe it's other elements, fasting. There are things that you actively do, whether it's maybe something that you abstain from, whether it be a food or even talking, you're being silent before the Lord, or things that you're pursuing, that you're do, actively doing, that are things that are disciplines in your daily life. And he's talking about these. But I want to start from a place of, of discussing what this is not before I go into kind of what it might look like for us or what it is. Because I think throughout history, we've made mistakes. I know I've made mistakes, and I feel these mistakes, but even in Jesus' day, he pointed out these mistakes. And he's saying, hey, you know what? We've gotten this self-discipline thing wrong, this training thing wrong. We're not always seeking the heart of the Father here. And so I'm going to start with two things that it's not, and it's language that Britain has used up here from stage for the past couple weeks, and maybe it's just been on my heart or my head more, and so it kind of sunk in when I read this text. But the first thing that's not is it's not legalistic. Right? Britain used the word legalistic and license, right? And, and how the relationship that God wants with us is, is neither. So it's not legalistic. Right? Jesus, uh, one thing that frustrated him the most when he was here on earth, when he when he's, was, was communicating, talking to various people, one thing that he pointed out the most and called out the most was a group of people called the Pharisees. Right? The legalists of their day. Who said, hey, to be a follower, you need to do X, Y, Z, and you need to do it to the letter of how we write it, and that's the way that you, that you find salvation. Right? And Jesus says, no, that's not it. Right? He actually calls them out one time in Matthew and says, no, you're, you're heaping a heavy burden on the people by doing this. Right? He uses words like, you bind heavy burdens. These are hard to bear. He actually compares their yoke to his own which is common phrasing in that day, uh, the, the yoke that you could carry, uh, the yoke of an oxen, right, that you would carry, that yours is heavy, that that way, that legalistic way, might heap shame on somebody. In fact, me just saying words like study or pray, you might start thinking right away, like, yeah, okay, here we go. A pastor telling me, and I'm not a pastor, but a guy on stage telling me, like, <laughs> that I need to read the Bible more often and every day, Right? And all of a sudden, what might have crept in on you, and I, I like, it crept in on me the first time I, I, I prayed about this a couple weeks ago when Britain told me the scripture we'd be on. And it was voices saying, man, you're a failure. Right? Man, you should be ashamed. Because you don't do this. And this is this legalism creeping back in that tells me, man, I, I need to earn it. Right? I need to do these certain things because I have to follow them to the letter to earn my salvation. And legalism is not it. And so I don't want you to feel shame or condemnation because that's not of him, right? The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Not him. He comes to bring life and bring it to its full and give it to you freely. And so it's not legalistic. That's not the heart of the Father. He calls it out. He actually compares it to the yoke, right? And a yoke, I have a colleague who had this on his wall, um, where I teach, and it, the wall of his room is an oxen yoke. And if you look at an oxen yoke, it often has two head holes, right? And, and, and you have two oxen pulling. And one is typically an older oxen, the other one's a younger oxen that's being taught, and they go side by side. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, 
He's inviting us not to a legalism, but to a relationship of pulling with him, of being a co-laborer in Christ, right? And that's the truth. So it is not legalism. But here's the other lie, right? And this is more of a cultural thing. This might not be something Jesus called out as much, but here's a cultural thing, and it's not license either. It's not license to just go with how we feel, right? And so this calling, this training isn't, yeah, just if you're feeling like it, do it. Hey, you think, man, you think Usain Bolt, what a last name for a sprinter anyway. You think he'd be the fastest man in the world if he's just like, ah, I don't really feel like it. I actually read up, one of his biggest cravings is fast food. You know, you think that'd be a good for his diet heading in the Olympics, right? And so it's not a license to go with how you feel, and yet our culture tells us that. Hey, if you're not feeling it, don't do it. Right? We should only do something we're feeling it. Um, Andrew pointed out dryness. You brought up that word. And I actually read a story about somebody who I admire hugely. And after her death, they've been looking at some of her journals more so than they could have while she was still alive. And this, this woman, who I'll tell you who it is later, writes extensively about a period of dryness in her adulthood. Dryness, loneliness, and doubt. Mother Teresa. You think she always felt like she wanted to care for the deletes, the untouchables, those with leprosy, those that were down and out, and do that day after day after day? No. She, in fact, considers it an act of love when she served without feeling like it in the moment. Right? We, this is true in lots of areas of our life. You might not always feel like... You know, you, we, we do this in relationships, too, right? Like, you don't always feel like you might love somebody... You don't feel in love, but you love them, right? The act of serving them and loving them in that moment is even greater. Not just because it's when you feel like it. So it's not license. It's not when you feel like it, right? We can't do that. We can't fall for that lie. We can't say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do these things like praying when I feel like it. Or studying, or worshiping, or, or fasting, or being silent. Creating space. I love that phrasing for self-discipline, creating space. Our community created space last week, but individually, if I intentionally create space, I can't do that just when I feel like it. And I can't do it because it's legalistic, like I have to do it to earn something. It's different. It's a relationship. So that's a good starting point for us to remind ourselves. In fact, Proverbs speaks to this license, right? It says things like, for the aimless wandering of the thoughtless will kill them. Or whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Don't just trust your feelings, but trust something deeper. Don't be aimless. Don't be fighting the air, as, as, as Paul puts it in the scripture we read. But instead, beat your chest and aim for something different. So what is it, right? What is self-discipline then? What does it look like? And, and you could spend a whole lot of time studying fasting, studying study, study or prayer or worship. I'm going to talk collectively. What does it mean? And so our definition will still be, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus, to create space for him? What does that look like? What is it if it's not legalism, legalism or license? Where do we fall? And the first place is something that I think we experienced last week and was preached from here last week, is that it's God's calling and it's our response to his love. Right? If it's, if it's a relationship that he's calling us into, right? it's his calling and it's our response. It's because I am set free 
In fact, Psalm 119 points out something on verse 32. It says, I seek you with all my heart. Later it says, I run the path of your commands. So I run, I follow, because you have set my heart free. Britain last week said, why do we share the gospel, right? It's because of this freedom that I experienced. It's the more I know the heart of the Father and create space for Him, the more that I'm going to let that spill out into others' lives. The more that I recognize that I was lost and am now found, the more I want to be in that relationship. The more I will be in that, yeah, we call it self-discipline, but not the disciplines of have to, but the disciplines of want to. Because here's the one who set my heart free. Because he set my heart free. So when Jesus says, follow me, right? He said that to his disciples. They dropped everything and followed him. He says that to us too. We don't need to walk into that relationship with shame or with guilt. Because he invites that relationship anew every day. Number two, it's goal-driven. It's goal-driven. Paul talks about a prize or a crown. I actually met a marathon runner, uh, not that I'd ever met one before. My wife ran one once, but like, um, I met a new one uh, this past week. But what was, what was unique about this is she said that she's trying to run 50 marathons in all 50 states before she turns 50. A lot of 50s, right? And, and A, that sounds terrible. So if that's what you're saying, that's, I'm with you. But, but, like, that's her goal. And she has a goal where she knows her 50th marathon, I mean, I already asked, right? You know, you ask all these questions. So let's see, how many states do you have? 22, cool. What's next? Fort Worth, Texas, cool. It's actually running this weekend, right? What's the last one? Maui. Sounds sweet, right? For, there's actually a club for people who run 50 marathons, and, and Maui's the last marathon because it's a, it's a specific, unique celebration. They come across the finish line, and they give them a special bib, a special award of sorts, and, and it becomes kind of this culmination of this 50 marathon accomplishment. She already knew exactly like what that looks like. And she could tell me, that's my aim. There's a lot of steps to get there. I mean, she has 12 scheduled for this year. That's a lot, right? And I'm like, that's her aim. That's her end. And so we need to know what our aim is. Usain Bolts was a gold medal. When I play football at Hope, right? Yeah, I'm, I run 110s at the end of practice, some sort of sprints. It's like, I want to make sure I, I'm as strong as I can be for Saturdays for my teammates so we can get a win, right? Like, it, athletes, he's, he's using this. To the athletes, he became an athlete, right? Paul uses athletic metaphors. He uses different stuff, but, but he does. He adjusts. He's pointing. He says, you get this. And so now, what should you do? Run at an aim or a prize or a crown that will last forever. In Hebrews, they they say your aim should be where your eyes are. Right? Fix your eyes. Right? Hebrews 12. Hebrews tells, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Right? The author and perfecter of our faith. Let us run after him. One of my my hardest times of of my life, a Bible that I had, I actually stole it from the pews here. They're free. So let's go. Right in the front, I wrote, I wrote, what are you fixing your eyes on today? Because I knew I needed to ask that question every single day. I knew I needed to have my goal be Jesus. Right? I, need, I knew I needed my eyes fixed on that. Because if it was fixed on that, then everything else would fall in line. 
So self-discipline isn't this legalistic like X, Y, Z. It's because of this goal, if I, if I walk backwards, like this stuff's going to fall in line because that's the way I'm heading. Number three, so it's a God's call in our life. It's goal-driven, and it's a gift. Paul writes two letters to two of his buddies that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from. The first one's to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. And it's one of my favorite uh, kind of encouragements because, again, I don't know about you, but running a race, a, a spiritual race, seeking after God, it's not easy, right? You need encouragement. It's a race of perseverance they talk about in Hebrews as well. Run with perseverance. So he encourages his buddies and he reminds them of something. And to Timothy he says this. Hey Timothy, I know you're trying to be self-disciplined. You're trying to race after God's heart. Here's my advice to you. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. God gave you the spirit of self-discipline. It's in you. You have what it takes. Too many times we're beat down, like, hey, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. I'm not, I can't do it. Timothy needed a reminder. I'm sure Paul needed reminders, right? Like, you have it in you. And it's God's Spirit. He gifted you with that. Remember that. He writes to Titus, just a page later in, in, in my Bible, but in Titus. And he said this, I'm going to read a slightly different version. So he said this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is Titus 2, 11 and 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you back up, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for his people, training us? What's training us? God's grace. God's grace is training us. So if, you, if I started this whole talk and, and said things like, like, man, prayer, silence, study, all the, and you felt beat down, God's grace is training you and calling you. And he will give you that grace to be able to follow him, to live a disciplined life, because you have a disciplined spirit. You don't have a spirit of fear, a spirit of giving up. You have it inside of you, and God has gifted you with that. Believe it. It doesn't mean it's easy, though. Right? It doesn't mean it's easy at all. One of the things that it is, is it's hard. And one of the biggest reasons that I typically hear, and I give myself as well, or I give back to God, is like, man, I'm just so busy. Maybe tomorrow. I'm so busy. And for me, I, I've, I don't know, there's different stages where you may feel busier, but I feel like as, I, as I've aged, I've always looked back and thought to myself, man, I really thought I was busy. You know, like in high school, I thought I was busy. Sorry, high schoolers, but I thought I was busy. And then I got to college, and I realized I was really busy. But then I got a job and realized, I thought I was busy in college? Really? And then, not to downplay it, but then after I got a job, I got married, and I thought I was busy before getting married. And then, of course, I had kids, and then I thought I was busy. Like, busy is relative, and so why have I always filled my time and always struggle with being busy. You feel like it should fluctuate. And at some points in my life, I should not feel as busy, but I'm always feeling busy. And so why? What about this? It's a spiritual fight. 
It's a spiritual fight. If I'm going to say yes to following Jesus, am I going to follow his calling? If I'm going to live a disciplined life of running after his commands, right? If I'm going to do that, Satan's not going to like it. He's going to fight it. There's a verse in Galatians, Galatians 5, 7, and 8. Galatians 5 says this. He says, you were running a good race. Right? You were doing this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. It's implying, right? It's coming from the other one. Right? It's coming from, from, from the one who, who rules over the flesh, who rules over the world. But he has no power over you. Remember your spirit, right? But this is the one who's cutting, off, cutting you off. This is the one who's trying to keep you away from following my commands. Because he knows, he knows that if you follow his commands, the God manifest will occur here on earth. Right? That Christ's power and authority and love will be, ring true to others here on earth. And he doesn't want that. So he's going to intentionally cut you off. And he's going to do it. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis books, and it's a very famous one, Screwtape Letters, right? One of the most popular parts of that book is a part where the, 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 the demons are kind of scheming on, like, how do, we, how do we interrupt people's lives, and how do we turn them off course from following Jesus? And they're like, man, I can't stop them from going to church. I can't stop them from, from, from you know, even, even proclaiming Jesus' name. But I can make them busy. So let's do that. Let's make them busy with trivial things, with things that don't matter, because then they won't go to the well, the well that is deep, deeper than we understand. And they won't go to that well, and they won't unleash Jesus' power on this earth. They won't create space because they won't believe that they have any. If we fill that space, they won't have space for Jesus and his power that he wants to do in your life. Busyness is a spiritual battle. And it's one we need to be aware of. When running a race, I like that cutting you off. Who's going to cut you off? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Chase after him. Recognize that, that somebody wants to fight that as well. And dig deep in his well and don't let that happen. I think one antidote for maybe some of that is accountability. I talked to the marathon runner I mentioned before. I said, man, so when do you run? Like, when do you train? And uh, she said, 4.40 in the morning. I said, okay. She's like, I wake up at 3.45. When do you go to sleep, right? She said, no later than 10.30. I said, okay, that's crazy. But, uh, but she said, yeah, I run downtown Grand Rapids. Where do you live? Hudsonville. Okay, you drive. They have heated sidewalks. Okay, yay. Uh, like Holland. But they have a mile and a half loop so they can run year-round. Do you run like with a group? Yeah, I run with eight people. How long have you been doing that? 2007 incredible. But it's the people that surrounded her that held her accountable through that. Right? I don't know. I know at times in my life, whether it's a sport, an athletic sport that said, hey, I knew I would have quit. I knew I would have quit lifting or running sooner unless I had buddies running next to me that I knew I was accountable for or to. I know I've had some accountability partners here in this body, right? I've had some accountability partners that have asked me questions like, hey, what are you fixing your eyes on this week? Ken is one of them. That was big time in my life. When I meet with Britton, he asked me a couple questions. He says, hey, what's God telling you this week? And what are you doing about it? Right? I mean, those are questions that are really good. It takes honesty on my part. 
to say, hey, here, here's how this is going. Here's how my fight. Here's how I'm beating my chest. Or, man, somebody cut me off this week. But I want to be disciplined because I know the goal is his crown, the crown of righteousness. The goal is his glory being manifest. And I know that because my eyes are fixed there. And so I want you to hold me accountable. So maybe, maybe because it's tough, maybe we need, we need to be intentional about creating some accountability. I've mentioned this already, but what are the results, right? And, and so busyness can maybe be overwhelming. But if busyness seems too strong, you know, it's too strong, I think we need to like put it up next to the goal or the outcome or the result. And so I know times where I have felt too busy. I know times where I've, I've not been as disciplined in following Jesus as I should. Right? Or as I want to be. But why? Why do I know that? I know that because when I have been disciplined times in my life, when I have been, I know that fruit happens. Jesus says, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Be connected to me. Abide in me. Remain in me. That's it. It doesn't say, read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, pray, worship. It doesn't say that. It says, abide in me. Be in me. Come into my yoke. Be in relationship with me. If you abide in me, then I will bear much fruit in you. And that, that's his promise, right? Abide in me. Do that. That's self-discipline. Man, when I hear self-discipline in all those words, I get weighed down. But when I hear abide in him, I'm going to find rest there. And I'm not only going to find rest, but I'm going to see fruit. I know for my own life, I go through phases, right, where I, I am an impatient, not very godly, not very kind person. Yeah? And, and, and I remind myself, man, in those moments... Should I just say, oh, i got to try harder to be more patient? No. I'm going to abide in the one who gifts me with the Spirit to be patient. The fruits of the Spirit, right, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, are these elements. So if I'm struggling with those, I'm going to stick with the vine. I'm going to go back to him and say, if I create space here, that's going to be the reality. I know I know, because when I thought about this, I'm like, man, there's a phase in my life where I know I've been more patient or more kind. I know I've been God-manifest to others without even, like, knowing that that was going to happen. And it's moments when I've been the most disciplined in my life. When it's been moments when I wake up, right? And there was a moment I struggled hard, and I'm like, man, I need to recenter myself. And I woke up intentionally, not as early as my marathon friend, but 5.30, I woke up, and I would read, and I would... I would pray because I knew I needed to realign myself. My wife and I wake up. We pray to start every morning together around the breakfast table before our kids get up. Because it's wild. It's busy. You know, five kids, that's busy. <laughs> it's wild. It's fun. Uh, but it's like, we've got to center ourselves. We've got to say, hey, what are we committing our day to? What are we fixing our eyes on? And that's our discipline. And it's become our habit. One of my favorite pastor friends of all time said, uh, said that there's a chance, right? Well, as I think about the fruit God manifests through us, he says there's a chance that you may be the only gospel that somebody ever reads. I love that as a reminder, too. So the more disciplined I am, when it comes to the race, I'm able to turn and smile 
like Mr. Bolt. That might be the only gospel somebody ever reads. And I want that gospel to, re- to ring true in their lives. To bring truth and love and hope toward others. So what's my hope for us? You know, my hope for us is that we accept His invitation to abide in Him. His invitation to be attached to the vine. We're going to have an invitation uh, relatively soon. We're going to go through communion. And this invitation is going to be one where, where you're going to be invited to come forward, to take the body, to take the, the cup, and to abide in Him, to experience communion. And the more we're in union with God, right, the more we're following Him, the more we're disciplining ourselves to create space for listening to Him in our lives, to doing what He does, to imitating Christ, to being a Christian, an imitator of Christ, to doing those things, right? The more fruit there's going to be. So it's my prayer for our, us as a community that we get the right teams around us, accountability partners, to create that space, to hold us accountable, to encourage us, to spur each other on, right? To run the race with perseverance because we say, hey, you can do it because the Spirit's inside of you. I hope that we can be a body that says that to one another. So I go back, right? Paul said, run in such a way. Run in such a way as to get the crown that lasts forever. More in part, may we be runners of a race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your heart for us, for each one of us here, that you pursue us. That's not us, but you pursue us first, that you love us first, that you sacrifice for us, although we were still sinners, Lord, although we still are, that you sent your son as the greatest example of your heart and your love, and your passion for us. Lord, we praise you for using people like Paul, metaphors like sports, where we can picture what it means to be disciplined, those that are disciplined in our lives. And I pray that we are not weighed down by this, this call toward discipline, not weighed down by this call towards strict training, that we don't see that as a strict hit on the wrist or just an... But we see it as a a loving call. And Lord, that we keep our eyes fixed on you and your heart for others in this world. That we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That we want your kingdom to come now. And Lord, may we be disciplined as a body, together, as individuals, to create space for you in the various ways that you did while you displayed your walk here on earth. That we can create space for you so that your will can be done. And your work can be manifest through us. Lord, we are humbled by that. And we praise you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.